Heavenly Father, we pray your blessing upon Jean as she does this. We thank you that you have already been helping her as she has prepared. We ask now that her, as she speaks, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Steve. First of all, I'm going to start by having a poem. And Pauline is very kindly agreed to read this poem to us. The Donkey by G.K. Chesterton. When fishes flew and forests walked and figs grew upon thorn, some moment when the moon was blood, then surely I was born. With monstrous head and sickening cry and ears like errant wings, the devil's walking parody on all four-footed things. The tattered outlaw of the earth of ancient crooked will starve, scourge, deride me, I am dumb, I keep my secrets still. Fools, for I also had my hour, one far fierce hour and sweet. There was a shout about my ears and palms before my feet. Thank you, Pauline. Those last couple of lines just get me every time I read them. Can you think of other donkeys that have appeared in literature over the years? Any ideas, any suggestions you'd like to call out? Come on, you must read about donkeys in, in books and novels and films even. Pinocchio, thank you. In Pinocchio, naughty boy, thank you, Shrek, yes. In Pinocchio, naughty boys were turned into donkeys and they were forced to hard labour. Shrek, yes, he's actually called donkey, isn't he? Yes, yes. Any yes, bottom in Summer Night's Dream, yes, well done. Eeyore in Winnie the Pooh, yes, he's on my list too. Anyone else? Any others that you can think of? Well, there's, in the Bible, there's Balaam's donkey in the Old Testament who actually spoke, and he saw what his uh, owner riding him couldn't see. Um, I think that's about all. There's Aesop's fables where an ass was dressed in a lion's skin, but he gives himself away by braying. And I thought you'd like to see this picture of some, a donkey in Mijas in Spain. We went there a few years ago, and this donkey is number 003 of the donkey taxis that they have there. Now, in the poem, Chesterton describes how the donkey is looked upon by people with monstrous head and sickening eye. Yet, the donkey had been chosen by the Lord God Almighty, creator of all. The poem describes the donkey as seeing himself rather negatively. He sees himself as a creature of the devil instead of a wonderful animal created by God. He has a distorted self-image and he feels like a tattered outlaw of the earth. He feels torn and broken, exiled and ill-used, a beast of burden. Yet, with all his mixed breeding and his poor self-image, the donkey has the last laugh because he was loved 
and chosen by the person who had the greatest power in all the world, Jesus Christ. Now, you may not know this, but a donkey, funnily enough, is actually a sign of kingship, of, royal li- of royalty from King David. You know, the shepherd boy who became the king of Israel. Donkeys and colts and asses were part of their royal line, and it was a symbol of royalty and of peace and of humility. Because when a king came in peace on a donkey or a colt, it was a sign of peace and of victory. In contrast, when kings went out to war, they rode on a horse, very different intentions. So we discover that on this very first Palm Sunday morning, this particular donkey had never been ridden before. He'd never been put to secular use. He was too young for that. So such an animal was regarded as something very special, and they very often used them for religious purposes. Therefore, this particular donkey, that Palm Sunday morning, was the right animal to bear and carry Jesus as King of Kings. Now, both the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of John quote the prophecy that Zion's king would come on an ass's colt. Zechariah 9 verse 9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, way back in King David's time in the Old Testament, David decided to make his son Solomon king in his place while he was still alive because he foresaw that there would be lots of squabbles over his throne when he died. So he told his servants to put Solomon on his own colt, on his mule, on his donkey, and take them to Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet and were told that they would anoint Solomon king of Israel. So there is behind the scenes, this historical fact is proclaiming that Jesus, by doing this, is following in the footsteps of King Solomon and King David. There's great significance that he sat upon a donkey. He chose to enter Jerusalem, mounted in this way, because he was proclaiming publicly that he was in direct line from King David, from King Solomon, and he was going to be King Jesus. So when the crowd saw Jesus approaching Jerusalem, the city, they would have remembered this prophecy. They would have linked it in with what was happening before their eyes. No wonder they greeted him as King. He purposefully offers himself as the Messiah. He makes this public proclamation because he knew this would provoke the Jewish leaders against him. So by this triumphal entry, Jesus comes as Messiah and King in love and peace. He really was King Jesus. Now, about the disciples, we're not told which two get sent to collect the donkey, only their actions in response to the words of Jesus. He tells them what to do, and it happens just as he said it would. 
And then the disciples take matters into their own hands and they lay their own cloaks upon the back of the donkey to make it soft and comfortable for Jesus to sit upon. And we are told in our reading, they put Jesus on it, on the donkey. It was their act of royal homage. Now, surprisingly, Luke, whose book we're following today, doesn't mention the palm leaves, the palm trees and the branches. Only John's gospel talks about the palms laid out on the busy road. So we can picture the 12 disciples and the many, many other followers of Jesus, because there weren't just 12, there were hundreds of other followers of Jesus, and all the crowds who followed, walking with him to the top of the Mount of Olives, which is higher than the city of Jerusalem. So when you get to the top of the Mount of Olives, you're looking down on the city. And right at the crest of the hill, where the Mount of Olives begins its descent, the whole crowd of disciples and the huge numbers of visitors and pilgrims that were flocking into the city, they started to praise and glorify the name of Jesus. A bit like the excitement and the pomp and the ceremony at the coronation of our own Queen Elizabeth. So they all start praising God for the wonderful miracles they'd seen. Things like Lazarus being raised from the dead and blind Bartimaeus being given his sight back. For them, Messiah had truly come. So they had lots and lots to sing about and praise about. And their words echo a praise from a psalm called Psalm 118, where they say, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. So the people went wild with delight because they thought that their liberation from Roman bondage was at hand. Sadly, it wasn't, because Jesus came to free us spiritually, not from the bondage of the Roman Empire. Now, the Pharisees, hearing all the loud shouts and songs, the Pharisees and the other top religious men were really afraid that the actions of Jesus would cause the Roman soldiers to intervene. They didn't want to cause a riot. Now, these men had already set a price on Jesus' head. They had already set out to kill him, but they didn't want to do so at this important festival in Jerusalem. The last thing they wanted was to cause a riot, but the last thing they wanted was to see Jesus proclaimed as Messiah. So they appealed to him, Jesus Teacher, calm your disciples down. Stop them shouting these songs of praise. But Jesus replied that if the people stopped shouting, then the very stones would praise out his name. The shouting, the praise, the glory was as inevitable as his coming death. Now the day is significant. This was the day, the first day of the week, Now we read in John's Gospel that on the Friday Jesus had spent that in Bethany with his friends Mary and Martha and Lazarus, the newly raised Lazarus from the grave. And while there, Mary anointed his feet with very costly perfume which cost an awful lot of money but it was in an act of humility and love which Jesus said was preparing his body for burial. Presumably he spent the Saturday with them as a family unit 
And then this is the Sabbath day, the Sunday, the day of rest. So the next day is the first day of the week, which is our Sunday. And this triumphal entry into Jerusalem is the exact opposite of what we see happening five days later when Jesus exits Jerusalem to walk that way to the cross at Golgotha. And yet, surely, in another week's time, in seven more days' time, this triumphal entry into Jerusalem is a precursor of the triumphal resurrection that we will celebrate next Sunday that we call Easter Sunday. Now, Jesus, from his three years of ministry, of healing, of loving, of releasing people from all sorts of problems, we see Jesus about to enter the big city, Jerusalem, He's going into the heart of the Jewish religion, where the temple stood. He's going into enemy territory, as it were, the territory of men whose religion meant far more to them than anything else, who saw Jesus as a threat to their high positions and authority. So people, uh, Jesus purposely enters Jerusalem in a way that this very action would proclaim that he's claimed to be a Messiah, God's anointed king. Can you imagine what courage that took Jesus to do? He didn't slink in one of the back gates or the side gates or try to get in unnoticed. He entered in a way that would focus the attention on him as he occupied center stage. Now, I told you earlier that some of these high priests and Pharisees and religious people had already tried to take Jesus by force, but he had always eluded them because the time wasn't right. Now Jesus takes control because now the time is right. It was his right to choose. And as we saw from that reading from Philippians, he chose the way of obedience he emptied himself. He made himself nothing. He laid everything down so that this final act of letting go of self completely into the hands of traitors was because he is our servant king. So to finish, Palm Sunday is an opportunity for us to think about the sign of Jesus riding on a donkey and what it means for us today. Perhaps it's an opportunity for us to allow him to approach each of us again. He may come afresh into our lives, meekly but with determination, maybe in, to break into our apathy or to break down any barriers we may have erected, to come into situations where we may feel lost, without hope, or like Chesterton's donkey with little or no self-worth. Will we let Jesus approach us? How close will we allow him to come? We saw from the reading in Philippians how Jesus let everything go in order to come as one of us. Will we, in turn, let go of ourself, our pride, and allow Jesus to walk around the private streets of our lives? Will we let him walk around the inner citadels, our personal space, as king and messiah, bringing his peace? 
Will we let him into those places we may hold aloof from God and and other people? I wonder what things he will point out to us as he moves along the alleyways and byways of our hearts. He doesn't even have to say anything. His coming, his presence is more than sufficient, but it does provoke a response. When Jesus comes, people will respond in different ways. The Pharisees we saw responded with anger and jealousy. They understood full well the significance of this itinerant preacher riding into the city on a donkey. They knew their scriptures. They knew that what he was doing was proclaiming himself as a conquering, victorious leader, riding into joyous acclaim. But he was no king of theirs. They wanted none of his gracious words, his tender touch, his divine and powerful healings. All they saw was someone who was invading their personal space and taking their authority away. But for the disciples and the followers of Jesus in and around Jerusalem, his coming provoked shouts of joy and praise. Hosanna! God saves! And it provoked in them the actions of laying down their own property, their cloaks before the way of the Lord, giving homage to the King of Kings. So the triumphal entry of Jesus into our lives needs a response of some sort from each of us, whether it's negative or positive, whether it's yes or no. And as we think about King Jesus entering our personal space and walking through our lives on this Palm Sunday morning, how will we respond? How will we act? What do we feel as he approaches nearer and nearer and nearer to us? He may make us aware of our sinfulness and his holiness. He may make us aware of our needs and his wonderful ability to meet every single need we may have. He may make us aware of our own poor self-image when Jesus assures us that we are worth more than many sparrows. He may make us aware of our feelings of lostness when all he wants to do is shout, Rejoice! I have found that which I have lost. Maybe God this morning wants to reassure us that no matter what our response, he accepts us just as we are. Long ears, braying voice, bad self-image, warts and all. We just need to acknowledge that we need Jesus to be our saviour and our king this morning. Because we've probably made a mess of trying to rule our own lives, we cannot save ourselves. This Friday, people here at this church and many other churches throughout the world will be thinking about Jesus dying on the cross. And we will do so and think about the pain and the suffering he went through And why did he go through all that? Simply because he loves us. That is why we came. So will we respond with shouts of joy like the crowds and the disciples, throwing our garments and our branches at his feet, letting go of the things that hinder us, giving him those areas we may value most, 
Or will we stand back in annoyance that this Jesus has dared to invade our personal space, our heart, our life? I wonder if you remember being part of a small group of children as children, having a group of friends and being a little club and having a secret password like the children in the Secret Seven books by Enid Blyton. No child could enter the hut unless they had the secret password. And nowadays, if we deal with anything on the internet, we need passwords. Passwords for our email accounts, our bank account, anything we buy through the internet. We even need a, a password to get into our Pip and Jim's account here. And isn't it difficult remembering all those passwords? I, at least, can write them down in shorthand. I bet there's not many people here in this room today can do that. Today, we see that Jesus used a password. Very simple, very short, and probably prearranged with the owners. The password was, the Lord needs it. And if the donkey could talk or think, it would probably be wondering why the Lord needed him. He may have thought that if Jesus was Lord of all, then he had no needs. But the Lord certainly needed this particular donkey that particular day. And as the Lord continues his triumphal entry and approaches ever nearer to each one of us, I wonder, do you have a password that will unlock your life, a password that will allow Jesus' entry into your life. The password for the Lord, for the donkey, was the Lord needs it. Maybe it's the same password for us. The Lord needs you. The Lord needs me. The Lord needed the donkey to be the sign that he was the promised Messiah. And he needs us to be a sign to the world today that he is still Messiah, he is still King. And he comes to each one of us. He comes to those who have little or no self-worth, who are filled with doubts and to those who even just don't know how to respond. But forgetting everything else, when the Lord approaches our lives, it is because he needs us. You and me. The Lord needs us this morning to allow him to approach us and to enter our personal space to accept and follow him. He needs us to welcome him afresh as Lord and King and Prince of Peace, just as the disciples and the crowds did that first Palm Sunday morning. He loves us so much that it hurts him if we don't let him in. Do you remember the night before the crucifixion, Peter denied his Lord three times and he wept down and, and cried his eyes out because he realised that the consequence of sin is not to face the anger of Jesus, but it's to see the heartbreak in his eyes. That's why he needs us to say yes to him, because he loves us. So for the donkey, with his crushed self-image, he had this one sweet, fierce hour. Christ invaded his personal space, but chose him at the start of this Passion Week for the best of reasons, 
So the beast of burden becomes a bearer of the king of kings. Jesus knew the donkey was special, but he also knows that each one of us are special. Will we allow King Jesus to make his triumphal entry into our lives today, this Palm Sunday morning? Because quite simply, the Lord loves you and the Lord needs you. Amen.